Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening out there in uh, internet land. I am, uh, well, I'm, I'm Josh the Wise Sage, and apparently I'm just very predictable. And today I'm with. Look, okay, we've discussed that we all have our, our whatever, and our whatever. Sayings. Yeah, I, I've I've been nice to you guys. Anyway, whatever. I I don't want to get into that because we're going to talk about turtles here in a bit. I love talking about turtles. turtles. And with me to talk about turtles, I have uh, Jake the EIC. How you doing, Jake? Uh, it's actually Jacob Absolutely Hardesty. Thank you very much. When that uh, happened? <laughs> because you were the one who said I say absolutely all the time. Oh, so we're just leaning into the, Okay, Might as well. Cool. All right, awesome. <laughs> all right, and then uh, we've got Al Red Lanyard. How you doing out there, Al? I'm doing good. Hi there, everybody. It's me. Al Uncharted is a bad video game, Mattingly. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. And of course, as I've already said, I'm Josh Wysage. I feel like I need to come up with some weird hot take I have as well. Mm. Uh, but I can't think of I don't I've got so many hot takes, I can't even think of one right now. Um, but anyway, so we're we're continuing something that we've been, you know, continuing for the past five years, it seems like. Uh, basically ever since the Phantom Correspondence started. Uh, we have been trying to do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, all the movies. Um, we still owe this to Josh Hicks. Yeah, we saw this to Josh <laughs> Hicks, who first asked for it. Uh, we've gotten we we just watched TMNT, um, and so I would like to take a moment of silence because after this is when things really start are going to go downhill. Or I'm assuming I haven't seen the Michael Bay films. I just um, I'm just really sad about that. I had, I, think, I, had I think avoided it's, them. I've seen the first one, Al. You said you've only seen the second one, right? Yeah. 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 Spoiler: yeah. You don't really have to watch both of them to get the context of the second. Yeah, I figured as much. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, this was a uh, you know we're gonna get into more what we liked and what we didn't like about it. But this this movie's kind of um, it's interesting. I did not know all that much about this movie uh, except that some of the action figures were uh, this this is a different action figure set. I remember when they came out, one of the complaints was uh, the turtles were too tall in the action figures. Uh, so normally if you, yeah, well, here's the thing, because they've got, they're, they're actually standing up straight in the action figures. So normally, oh, okay. like, if you're, if you've been, if you've been following the turtle action figures, and for all, you know, two of you that are listening to this are like, gosh, talk more about the turtle action figures. <laughs> uh, most of the action figure lines have had them in kind of like a, a squat you know, or or even just kind of like in a in a weird kind of karate pose where they're kind of hunched down. These it, it was almost it was almost like within this movie and within the action figures there was a sense that the turtles were starting to grow up. Hence the the idea that we're not going to call them the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles anymore, or we're not going to call the movie that. We're just going to call it TMNT. Um, which you know, which kind of goes with the theme of the movie. The movie, of course, has a lot about growing up and um you know moving beyond what you were as a child and you know and everything like that and trying to uh have these turtles become adult turtles i'm not totally sure i dig all of that to be quite honest well we'll get into that later but it did lead to a toy line that is basically completely different from any of the other toy lines uh like i said you've got these very tall you know almost superhero looking uh, turtles, which was different uh, than you know how the turtles already been presented, 
one of the things that made the toy line stand out, even the toy line you got into, Jake, in mm-hmm. 2003, was that they they just look, they don't look like your average, you know, superhero action figure. You know, they had kind of distortions and that kind of thing. Um, the turtles in, in the action figures and even somewhat in the movies, you know, this is the most human they've ever looked, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's, there's a little bit of discussion to have there. Um, and, uh, you know, and maybe they were trying to um, grow from the 2003 series into this. Um, we didn't really do anything with the 2003 series, Jake. I know you watched a lot of that. Was there? Did you see a lot of parallels between the 2003 series and this series? Like from the, I haven't looked at the action figures. Or do you mean like well, from like the show to the movie? Um, not really. Mainly, mainly because it was almost it was almost like it was an entirely different continuity. Yeah, you know. Um, obviously the the basics of Four Turtles, Splinter, Foot Clan, so on and so yeah. forth, but. Not as many similarities um, as you would to honestly like the more so traditional stuff like from the eighties, right? Um, so. Right. I, I did. You know, um, one of the things I do want to point out real quick before, because I know uh, you and Al both have some things you want to talk about, but one of the things I did want to point out real quick um, was, and this is important for Turtles fans. This is Karai's first appearance in the movie. Oh, um, and Karai is a uh, particularly if you're a fan of the comics, if you're a fan of really any of the shows, um, Karai is an important character. Um, they do. There's a lot of different things they do with Karai. Uh, originally, she's Shredder's daughter. That doesn't really get mentioned at all in this movie, unless I missed it. Um, then in the uh, the Turtle series that uh, came out uh, in 2012 and beyond, uh, she's raised by shredder but she's really splinter's daughter Mm. um so there's that um but she's always a real interesting character because she's always this you know kind of in between dare i say almost an electra like figure i always view her that way because you know the turtles were this play on daredevil in a lot of ways you know the foot and the hand and all that stuff and if you have an electra like figure it's kind of karai um she's just you know that's just kind of how she always fits in. But I, I will say, even though this was her first appearance in, in the movies, uh, she doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, she is voiced by Zhang uh, Ji, a, a very famous, uh, you know, uh, Japanese actress uh, from uh, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, and she, she's in one of the Bond movies, isn't she? Um, I know she's in Rush Hour 2. She is in Rush Hour 2. She was also in Hero. Right. Um, also, she is not Japanese. She is Chinese. Chinese. I, I knew it as soon as I said it. I knew it as soon um, as I said it. Yeah, because Crouching Tiger and Dragons. Chinese, yeah. Okay. Yep. yeah, anyway. Uh, but very, very good. Is she in House of Flying Daggers? Uh, yes, she okay. is, yes. But anyway, uh, I mean, that was a that was a, uh, a good a good pull uh, for this. Uh, you know, and it's, I think this is two years after Memoirs of the Geisha. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, she's at the you know the height of her you know Oscar nominated powers, and she's going to play Karai in TMNT. That's Amen. just, that's just beautiful. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about some of the uh, other other uh, surprise people that are uh, voicing characters in this later. Um, but Jake, uh, you wanted to talk a little about the continuity of this, or or the what was going to happen after this movie because this movie kind of seems to set up an entire world. It does. Uh, what's interesting about this is. You know, and Al's going to talk a little bit more about, like, where it actually fits into the timeline. But 
I remember when we were setting up the ones we were going to watch, I was like, well, this is the only one that's really separate because you have the first trilogy and then you have the two Michael Bay films. This one is very much its own thing. Um, but what was interesting, because I was like, I, 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 I knew there had to be something. So I looked it up and apparently the follow up to this was it was originally going to be a trilogy, its own trilogy. Um, apparently the second would have, uh, it says loosely adapted the, um, the comic book story city at war. Um, Michelangelo apparently would have been feeling kind of rejected by his brothers and he would have ended up joining the foot clan. Um, while the turtles as a whole, apparently at one point would have traveled to Japan, um, to cross paths with Karai. And presumably this would also then lead to like a return of the shredder. Um, because that's one of the few things that does mention it sets it makes sure that it sets up that Shredder is gone. Um, he is not in this universe, and that's Karaz kind of taking over the Foot Clan mm-hmm. uh, at this point, and at least in this film. Um, apparently, they were also planning up a third a third one, um, which would have introduced the uh, Triceratons, which are a, a pretty classic. Oh yeah, uh, you have no idea how upset I am when you when you first told me that. I was like, <laughs> like that would be oh great. my god. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, plus, you'd also get the Technodrome uh, from Dimension X. Yes. And uh, apparently, they had originally wanted Michael Clark Duncan to play uh, Commander Mozart, the leader of the Triceratons. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that would have been so beautiful. All of it would have been great. Um, oh, apparently, Peter Laird, one of the co-creators of the Turtles, instead of doing more animated, wanted to do um, a live-action slash CGI mix which apparently eventually is what became uh, the reboots in 2014 under Michael Bay. Um, I've never actually looked up what Laird and Eastman think of those two movies, but I, I, I do wonder. I mean, I he uh, from what I, from what I saw, Peter Laird liked this movie. Um, Eastman, I don't think was involved or anything. I think I think Laird was this in the part where he had bought Eastman out. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I I would have loved to have seen even. Even if you had the live action films coming later, I still would have loved to have seen what they what they could have done with the other two movies. Because like, like you said, this definitely is it's setting up its own world. Because honestly, you could literally say that this was you could say this was a continuation of the two thousand three series if you really wanted to. You could say it was a continuation of the cartoon. You could say it was a continuation of the of the original trilogy. You could say it's from wherever because all you need to know is that. Four turtles raised by, raised by Splinter, and they defeated Shredder, and here we go. You you had a lot of room to work, uh, and I kind of I, I kind of wanted to see where it was going to go. Plus, also I also enjoy the Triceratons quite a, quite a bit. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, the Triceratons. It, we never seem to get to them. Mm. You know, I feel like they would have come in in a fourth uh, live action movie, uh, and uh, I just I kind of wondered what they would. Those rubber suits would have looked like, mm. you know, but whatever. Uh, Al, speaking of the live action movies, uh, you had brought up that you know there's there are some some parts of this movie that seem like they're a continuation of uh, of one, two, and three. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so, um, uh, first off, I just want to say to anybody listening to this episode, you're going to have to um, excuse me. Uh, my allergies are just ravaging just the entirety of my face um right now so if i if i sound weird or if i have the 
um, the sniffs, as some people call them, um, then that's why. But um, I'm just imagining a, a face hugger on you, like right now. It's just, I mean, if there's an analogy um, for how allergies affect me in the fall, it's it's definitely uh, stage one xenomorph for sure. That's <laughs> uh, just awful. Um, and but um, yeah, so this was. So this one was really interesting. Again, I'm the one in this trio who has had the least amount of exposure um, to TMNT. So everything we've watched has been kind of a journey um, for me. So that's been really um, fun, uh, really interesting. Um, um, I just want to say I love, I love a lot of stuff that this one does um it's really cool that it's animated i think studios should go way harder on doing animated stuff because um there's a lot of good animated stuff out there um i love a lot of how this movie looks as well i think a lot of the character designs are really cool um but um I mean, I was interesting because I was watching it and I watched this on HBO Max. It's available for free on HBO Max to stream. Um, and on HBO Max, it's just called TMNT. And so I watched it with the mindset of just like, oh, this is just like a new thing, right? This is just like a new little project they did um, in between the live action um, films. And then um, I did some research on it after I watched it, um, as I'm prone to do. And it was just like, oh, actually, the full name of this um, little animated film is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, colon, Immortal, which is mm. a really hardcore name for, <laughs> for TMNT, which they do that a lot, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for being as as silly and fun as it is has a lot of really like hardcore names um um if anybody is reading the comics right now you know that they're in a storyline called the last ronin which is just a really cool name for a comic um also a very good comic by the way <laughs> yeah well there you yeah. go definitely worth checking out um but um yeah so i saw that it's um called four um, it's a continuation of the original trilogy. And I started to try to think about it and try to think about it in that way of being a continuation of the original trilogy of films that we've already discussed. And it's really interesting. This one has a much more serious tone to it, um, especially compared to the last two of the original films. Um, I mean, you just see, towards the beginning, you just see... Leonardo, I mean, I assume he killed that man. Um, I'm pretty pretty sure he he just eviscerated that dude at the beginning. Um, I don't know what other explanation there is, because you don't see him again, Um, which was was pretty hardcore, and I was kind of a fan of it. Um, But um, you have Leonardo doing that in the beginning. He's kind of on on like a, um, a training pilgrimage if you will um, that splinter had set him on so he's kind of taken up this um, protector role of this um, presumably Central American village I think was 
was the context of it. Yes, um, I don't know if it's ever said, but yeah, um, I know they spoke Spanish, so I'm assuming Andrew was South American. Um, and then you have Wrath kind of taking on this new vigilante role um, and doing his own thing uh, while Leonardo is away. Um, which I thought was um, a really cool development for him. I thought it made a lot of sense for his character to be the one to kind of continue their their crusade against evil in the city, trying to uh, wanting to be a protector, even though Leonardo's gone. I thought that was a very reasonable um, direction to take his character in this. I thought that was cool. Um, and I also really appreciated that by making it a continuation, even if it's like, a little bit removed from what the original films were, it avoids the trap of having to explain a lot of stuff. It avoids the exposition dumps. A lot of times with these uh, film adaptations of superhero and comic book stuff, uh, you get a lot of of what I call year one exposition, where you kind of have to go through the origin, you have to explain a lot of the characters, have to explain what's going on. By having this be a continuation and taking place further in, you get to kind of see the world of like a year five, year six group of TMNT and what, you know, the fallout is from having defeated the Shredder and uh, where the crime syndicates within the city kind of are now. Um, get to see where the turtles are now. Um, and I thought that was really cool. I really love when these kinds of projects um aren't afraid to just kind of jump in to the lore of the characters um, that they're about. Um, I wish we got that a lot more. I thought that was one of my favorite things about the Spider-Man video game that came out in 2018, because you jump in and you're like year five Spider-Man, which I thought was really cool because you can play around in this already established world. And that's kind of the freedom that this one had. Um, so I think it, it benefited a lot in that way from being a continuation of it. I think a lot of areas of, of the plot um, kind of suffered. I don't think they really suffered as a result of being this vague continuation. I think it was just kind of issues with the plot that were there. Um, but um, overall, I thought it was a really cool approach um, to go ahead and have this be, again, not a a direct in your face this is what happened after the third film but to have the freedom of saying okay you guys have probably seen at least some of what we've done since then here's what the turtles are up to now uh, um i really appreciated that part of it yeah i think uh, i think that's one of the strengths and you know towards the um towards the end of the movie uh not to get too far ahead of us too far ahead of it um but towards the end of the movie where they're kind of all, you know, like Roth gives up his mask and then Michelangelo gives up his his uh, giant head. Calabunga Carl. Calabunga yes. Carl head. But if you notice on there, you've got Shredder's helmet, you've got the TCRI, uh, canister it's broken, which, you know, is from the second movie. Mm. You've got uh, parts of their uh, armor from the third mm. movie is on there. Uh, so they're definitely playing with with that concept. Uh, and just the sheer idea of, you know, Shredder being defeated, uh, you know, is is definitely, like you said, kind of like a, a year five kind of moment for them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think that's one of the one of, one of the interesting parts of this movie. Um, 
I think it's a, a strength in some ways and in some ways might be a little bit of a detriment, but we'll get into that here in a second. Um, so we're, we're just going to start, uh, you know, Al, uh, we'll, we'll start with you again, man. What was your, what was your overall thoughts on this movie? You know? Um, oh yeah. Um, overall, I enjoyed it. Um, I had um, a lot of fun with this one. Um, I thought, uh, um, I appreciated the overall tone of it. I thought being more serious uh, was really effective. I thought they pulled it off pretty well, but they still had a lot of, of really good jokes. I feel like I feel like a lot of those jokes have aged pretty well where I was able to um, enjoy a bunch of them. Um, in fact, when I was watching it um, last night, uh, my wife was in the other room and when they do the joke about Splinter being, really into um, his daytime TV shows and doing the joke of just like, we interrupt this episode of Gilmore Girls to bring you a news update. I, um, I'm a laughed out loud and, and my wife was just kind of like, are you, are you okay? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that was just funny as shit. <laughs> just really got me. I really like the idea that Splinter's really into Gilmore Girls. Um, but, um, so um, I thought it had a lot going for it. I thought the action was really good. I thought it was a really well animated film um, overall. I thought the fight scenes looked really tight. Um, I could keep up with what was happening in the fight scenes, which can be kind of an issue sometimes in 3D animation, um, especially 3D animation back in 2007, uh, which sounds archaic now, but it feels like it was as yesterday for a lot of stuff. Um, so I thought all of that was really good. I was really happy with how it looked and how the characters felt. The voice cast was awesome. Um, it had my girl, Huffy the Vampire Slayer, in there. Um, it felt really great to see April O'Neil actually be a functional part of the story. I really like that. Um, uh, but yeah, that voice cast is crazy stacked, both with primarily voice actors and also celebrity voice actors who can actually voice act, which I appreciated. Um, we're starting to see that there can be a difference between the two. But um, I thought all of that was really solid. I talked about the character appearances already. Um, I had a little bit of trouble um, as far as um, I struggled to understand the internal conflict right like um the external conflict of the film was kind of a classic hey this is an ancient dude he's trying to do some ritual stuff to do evil things with that's what it was on the surface you find out that wasn't exactly the case as you get further into the movie towards the end but it was like a pretty classical kind of framing device that a lot of things use um I struggled, and perhaps y'all can help me out on this. It could just be a character thing I didn't really appreciate because I haven't um, digested as much of TMNT stuff as you as you guys have. Um, I couldn't get behind the idea that the Turtles, who are a group of vigilantes, had such an issue with Raphael being a vigilante. Um, and that was really the big source of the internal conflict. Um, obviously, there were deeper issues at play as far as their trust, as far as the dynamics that had happened when 
Leonardo left and Raf trying to find his way um, and his identity with being older and being kind of on his own and stuff like that. All of that was there and all of that was good. That felt like good emotional turtle stuff I could see in any kind of turtles film. But the surface internal conflict of, hey, like, Raph is out of control because he's being a vigilante, even though we're a group of turtle vigilantes and we work with Casey Jones, who's also a vigilante. That part of it, I really struggled to to get and to high into. And that part was just very, very distracting to me as far as the story of the film went. That just kind of kept coming to the forefront of my mind of how inconsistent it felt, um, if that makes sense. But again, as I said, um, you guys are by far the experts on TMNT stuff than I am. So maybe you guys can shed some light on anything I missed with that. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna bring up the Night Watcher uh, later. I think that that's that's a that's worth talking about. Uh, for all of its uh, strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but real quick, I do, you know, if, if we're going to talk about Sarah Michelle Geller as April, this is a good time as any to point out the voice cast, uh, including one that's kind of funny now that I think about considering our intro. Uh, but Chris Evans, of course, is playing Casey Jones, mm-hmm. yep. which, you know, this is obviously very much pre, pre-Captain America Chris Evans. Yes. This is when he was taking a lot of roles like this. Uh, but I think he does a good job as Casey. Uh, this is probably the most likable case he's been in any of, any of the stuff we've watched so oh, far. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> like I said, I haven't seen Stephen Amell play him yet, so maybe Stephen Amell is just you know the perfect Casey. I don't know. That's actually that, Casey's actually in Stephen Amell's wheelhouse mm. quite a bit, so I don't know. Um, you've also got somehow Patrick Stewart. They yes. pull they pull Patrick Stewart Patrick in the Stewart. big winters, so you get like. Patrick Stewart playing this, you know, immortal, you know, warrior mm-hmm. in the teenage age. I mean, I just, I love Patrick Stewart so <laughs> Which much. He is I love in that real life man. anyway. Yeah, I love like, that man so much. Like, uh, Patrick Stewart as Winters is great. Um, you've got, uh, we've already talked about Zhang Yi as uh, as uh, Karai. Um, we have not discussed Mako as Splinter. Yep. So Mako, of course, has a long history of of uh, you know uh, acting, um, but uh, basically mainly for us nerds, Uncle Iroh. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, I mean, pitch perfect. And, and Aku. Oh, I'm sorry. You and Aku. Aku. I'm sorry. All right, I mean, my bad. And, 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 and Aku. Uh, but like he is pitch perfect as Splinter, and uh, you, you bring up the the scene where he's he's. Um, uh, you know, talking about his uh, or wanting to watch his stories, uh, the 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 song that he is singing there is just something that he just straight up was, according to IMDb, was something that he just started like ad libbing, some some type of lullaby he knows that he just thought would be funny to put in there, which adds, which makes the, the that entire scene better because of that because he's he's walking around, you know, getting his breakfast ready. You've got. Roth and Leonardo, who are angrily eating at each other, you know, at the table, and he's just like, you know, singing this little lullaby, you know, whatever. It's it's so it's such a good scene. Um, so you've got all that, but the funny one to me, Jake, do you know who plays Raphael? I oh Nolan North, Nolan North, yeah. who is also the voice of. <clears throat> Nathan Drake. Yeah, which is hilarious. <laughs> Al, did you even did you know that? 
Um, yeah, yeah, I could tell it was him almost as soon as he spoke. Well, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I just, I just thought it was kind of funny because you know you you've changed your name now to, you know, Al Uncharted is a bad game, uh, and now we have Nolan North, you know, playing, uh, uh, you know, playing Raphael. Um, I think Nolan North is a fantastic voice actor. Uh, I could, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, he's excellent. I, He's he's yeah. fantastic in this. Of course, he's 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 played everything now. He's Iron Man. Yeah, uh, he, yeah he plays Iron Man. Uh, he's also the evil cannibal in Last of Us Part One. He is. Um, he so is. like, I mean, he's just, he's all over the place. Nolan North is fantastic. Um, so we, you got some great voice acting, um, you know, going on there. Uh, Jake, on top of uh, great voice acting, you know what you know what what, what did you like about this movie? What do you think was good? So. Al had mentioned that like the animation itself uh, has aged really well uh, since it is a it's weird to say this now but guys 2007 was 14 years ago yeah, that's, no, that's weird, weird. but um, it it is it's weird to say camera angles because you know it's animated but even even still like the way that it is shot or animated however you want to say it they do a lot of really interesting camera tricks to that, that the stuff that you would find in like the more so like modern day like the like MCU or Star Wars like a lot of stuff that they are doing is stuff that has kind of become more so commonplace now and if you've been listening or paying attention to the YouTube series I'm doing in my opinion before like 2008 like they really weren't doing a lot of camera angles like that and really using that that kind of setup to really make things more um, more nuanced and really have uh, really kind of just better framing devices, really when, when or better frames, really when when you really kind of start looking at the different shots that they pick. One that just sticks out of my mind is when Leonardo is coming home and the the landing gear opens up off the plane and he's just standing there as the wind is blowing his mask mm -hmm. and everything. Like it's, it's, they, they wanted to go full on into the, the turtles are superheroes at this point. Um, which, I, which for better or worse, I know we're, we're probably going to discuss, you know, difficulties later or things we didn't like later. Um, but there, but for me personally, there are a lot of things I really enjoyed about that aspect. Um, and I, and I like that they were willing to have scenes like that, but also have the scene like a full like thirty second scene where Michelangelo is skateboarding through the sewers. You know, they were they, in my opinion, I think they really did a good job of balancing the different aspects of the of the each different turtle. The excuse me, Mako is Splinter though. Like that has to be. In my opinion, the best part of the of the entire movie, like I, I and I know that a lot of that might just be because because he passed, but it's also, but I mean, for me, it's I almost hear his voice more than I hear pretty most of the uh, like. It's a mixture of him and the very first guy from the first Ninja Turtles movie. Like the if if I'm thinking of Splinter, I typically hear those two voices, um, just because he just he nails the role. Um, and, and I like that he was. I like that he was kind of more involved in like the final fight as well as well as uh, Casey and April. Um, it, I liked quite a bit that they did a. Uh, they led into April, uh, like fighting with them and everything, and like tra like training 
to be to become a ninja as well. I thought that was kind of cool, which is a lead into, I mean, because they do that in the 2012 uh, series, right? They do. Yeah. So I kind of, I, I don't know. I kind of, I like that quite a bit. I'm wondering if part of that was because, I mean, we've got freaking Sarah Michelle Geller playing her. We can't just have her sit on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. But uh, also, I just, I just thought it was really cool that that they were willing to go that route with it. Um, but yeah, I just I I actually really I actually really like this one. I I, th- I just think it's a lot of fun. So yeah, I um yeah I was uh I I, I liked it more than I thought I would. Um, there's it, I, there's issues I have with with the movie. Um, but one of the things that they they got really correct, I thought. Um was the was the dynamic between Raphael and Leonardo. Um, so the the turtle lore, and of course, and th- th- this is, I'll, I'll, I'll go and get this out of the way. The dynamic they get correct is almost to the detriment of everything else in the movie because the movie's really about Raphael and Leonardo mm. coming to grips with themselves. So you really kind of get Donatello and Mikey pushed to the side, um, which happens a lot in these movies. Um, and that's almost, that that's kind of a detriment uh, because, you know, the the whole point of this is that everybody has their function. Um, you know, they have their own function on the team. Uh, if you take one part out, the team does not work as well. And so, uh, you know, so like, you know, Mikey and Donatello, you know, Mikey's just straight up comic relief. You know, Donatello's just kind of there to be there to say like, well, this character's not dead, you know, and like, I mean, just basically like, you know, like, it's basically like, oh, Raphael, he's not dead. He's been, he's got some, some, you know, toxin in his blood or whatever because Dantel's a smart one. And so, like, there's, you know, and, and you know, and that's fine, you know. And I, and with the idea that it was going to be a trilogy, you know, obviously with Mikey, they were going to explore a lot of that uh, more uh, later on with him, you know, leaving and becoming part of the foot and stuff like that. That's, you know, and, and so I get that. Um, but it is a detriment to this movie. That being said, of any movie we've watched so far, um, this movie has the best scene, which is Leonardo and Raphael fighting each other. And I take one of the things I I, I always remember, uh, you know, and I, I I'm not gonna like endorse this because this stuff can be pretty gross sometimes. But uh, with Red Letter Media Media's uh, Plinkett reviews, he talks about lightsaber fights, and one of the things he says that a lightsaber fight is not about the act of fight itself. It's an internalization of the characters and what they're going through. And that entire fight is an internalization of the characters. Al, one of the things you brought up is that, you know, the you're confused as to why the the turtles don't like the night watch here. Well, actually there's only as correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's only one turtle that doesn't like the night watcher. It's Leonardo. Yep. Mikey and Don, Mikey in particular seems to really dig him. Uh, of course, like he's he's more of the child. I don't think Donatello says anything about him. If I could be wrong on that, uh, and I, I, that I could be wrong, but the guy that really doesn't like him is Leonardo. And the reason Leonardo doesn't like him is because one of the things that Leonardo has to deal with, and this is this is just through the through the you know the turtles mythology, is that Leonardo has a problem with his arrogance. You know, he is yes, he's he's born to be a leader. He's the best person to be the leader but he's also he his issue is he always thinks like hits his way or the highway and so a lot of the particularly with the comics 
and this is really true with the 2003 series and with the 2012 series, is that Leonardo's entire progression is, you know, how do I become a leader, you know, that isn't just this dictatorial influence on the rest of my band. And then with Raphael, the issue with Raphael is that canonically in every single iteration, Raphael is the best fighter on the Turtles, and yet he's not the leader. Which leads to that fantastic scene in this movie where he goes up to Splinter and he's like, I understand now why you made him the leader. Because he does not have the temperament for it, even though he is the best fighter. And so when you have this moment, you know, like there's this great moment and it's played for laughs. But it's not funny because you're looking through the Night Watchers, uh, Raphael looking through the Night Watchers helmet. And he goes, is he really lecturing me right now? Is that a thing that is happening? And, you know, to your point, Al, this is supposed to be year five. Why is Leonardo, you know, at this point still, you know, like his whole thing is I must show this guy, you know, the error of his ways, you know? And, you know, and, and that's that there, that that part of the movie, I think, is brought out really well. You know, what do these two characters, you know, bring to the table and like why why can't they get along? And it's because they have fundamental differences on what they, on how they view the world. And that fight scene, you know, is just perfect on that because Leonardo baits Roth into being stupid and, you know, by getting him angry as he says he's going to, and we knocks the helmet off and Leonardo finally says to him very, he says, you can't beat me. I am better than you. And Roth, you know, you know, kind of settles down and takes Leonardo and you have that awesome scene where he breaks the, where he breaks the, the swords, you know, and he's angry and he realizes what he's done and he just runs off, um, you know, cause I mean, he, he loves Leonardo and like, and to, I mean the, that scene, like, you know, here's the thing we're, we're talking about, <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which by and large is a joke product. Okay. I mean, it just is. But if you want to see like how really anything that you have, any idea you have can be elevated, you know, to something higher, that's a scene you look at because there's so much going on between these two characters that once again, I have to point out are mutated turtles that are ninjas. And yet there's so much going on between these two characters um, that it, particularly if you've kept up with the product when you're bringing to that, it becomes this really like, you know, emotional point for anyone that's watching it and has 35 years of experience with this product. Um, and so that to me was the standout moment. Here's the issue with the movie. It's almost like they made the movie to have that moment. And then I don't know if they knew what to do with the rest of the movie. Because there's so much other stuff that seems like you, you brought Patrick Stewart into this thing to have 15 lines. You know, you brought, you know, uh, Zhang-Chi in this thing to have 10 lines. You know, you I mean, you you spent money on, on characters here and developing characters and backstories. This is Karai's first time and she's basically a goon. <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you, you bring all this stuff in. And it's like you really don't know what to do with it. And I understand, once again, the point of this was they were going to make, you know, a trilogy, you know, out of this. But there are definite parts of this movie that just don't get enough uh, emotional investment into it. Um, and so to me, that's the 
that's that's where this movie kind of kind of starts to have issues um, because there's parts of this movie that don't seem like you actually get enough investment into it to care about, you know, because I mean, I mean, this is really like, you know, you know, with Winters, who I think is kind of an interesting character because, you know, he's like, you know, he, he's a he's a he's a redemption character is what he is, you know, and like. I don't know. I, I, I never seen. It never seemed like he landed to me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What, what did y'all think? What did y'all think about Winters? You know, like I mean, was that a character that landed for you, or like, you know, what do you think, uh, Jake? Why don't you go first? Um, for for me, he he does in performance, obviously, because I mean, it's Patrick Stewart. I mean, pa- Patrick Stewart would would have brought nuance to like Keati Mundi or something if you yeah. put him in Attack of the Clones, like. Uh, which, for the record, now I really want that. But, I don't, I don't um, want that at all. <laughs> um, but uh, the the thing is, is like I I would have cut Karai. I I would have like I, I hate to say that because I love Karai. I think Karai's a really inter- another interesting character. But I would have cut her and utilized her in like a like the second film or something like that instead. Uh, and I would have fo- and I would have focused more on Winters or. Opposite that, and cut Winters and the Four Warriors, and then focus entirely on the Karai, on Karai, like maybe trying to bring back Shredder or something like that. I I think this I think this movie suffered a little bit from, like you said, kind of not really having a footing on a primary antagonist and a primary goal, um, and so I think instead we get kind of this, this kind of tossed together mess. Pretty much, like a, a, in the last thirty minutes, like after uh, after the fight between Leonardo and Raphael, which for record I also love, but I knew you wanted to talk about it, like because that was the point where you you kind of looked like a kid, like watching a movie <laughs> when you were seven. You were just like leaned forward, like as the as the fight was happening last night, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna let Josh have that one. Um, but uh, as much as I enjoy. Like I said, some of the some of the techniques they were using from an animation standpoint in that finale, I wish that it had more focus. Um, uh, e- even to the point, uh, and, I, and this is the, and a lot of this is largely nitpicking, and I will readily admit that uh, Splinter disappears um, halfway through that fight. Um, right when they get inside the building, you do not see Splinter like at all. And I'm not sure if that was a if that was partially because maybe they changed things up and Mako had already passed, so they didn't want to re-record things, um, or whatever happened. But like Casey and April go off and do their thing. The four turtles are supposed to take down, uh, supposed to fight the four brothers, and then you see Splinter for like two seconds. Uh, say no, they can take them to Winters, and then you just you do not see him until for like another like ten minutes. And I understand you're not necessarily supposed to focus on them at that point in time, but like you said, it's almost like they didn't have enough focus. They didn't really have a good focus at that point. Yeah, I, I literally think a lot of that has to Mako passing away. Because, you think so? and, yeah, and here's why I know that is because you, uh, of course, in fairness, it's a blink and you miss it part. But you've forgotten he they, him and Winter show up because there's monsters coming out of the at that portal. And you've got Splinter drop kicking them and being oh, like, we should do this more often. I do remember that. So yeah, like, I, do think, yeah. I do think a lot of that. And, and yeah, we, I think that's, that's something we left out, but you know, Mako was announced as Splinter at the comic con in 2007 and then passed away the yeah. day after. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, he had most he had most of his principal stuff done. Um, but I do think there's there's some stuff where they were just kind of like, you know, the the I, I I assume he had a bigger role in that fight mm-hmm. towards the end. Um, but you know, what are you gonna do? There's not there's, you know, yeah. there's nothing you can do on that, you know. Um, but that was I mean, I mean that was really my only my only issue uh, with it was I I, th- I I kind of agree with you. I think there was a bit of a lack of focus uh, from an antagonistic standpoint, and also. Mikey has a good a couple of good moments of comedic relief. Donatello does nothing in this movie, like, and I and I really hated that. Um, like the the more I think about it, he just like he shows up in different conversations, um, and he has like one scene where he uh, swings someone with a with a staff at the very end, but he does very very little in this movie, and I just I I hated that because I love Donatello. I always feel really bad for Donatello because. So far in every movie we've seen, he's almost gotten the, and I don't know if it's because like the idea that, um, that he's the smart one is just harder to, to work on, on like, on, on, a, in a movie, you know, like in, in a movie, uh, setting. Cause like in the shows, like he's always working on something. I mean, yeah. like. You know, a lot of the a lot of the storylines involve him because I mean he has he's he's got a, he's the one that figures out Dimension X. He's the one that figures out what the Krang are. He's the one that figures out how to defeat the Mousers. He's the one you know makes Metalhead. He's the one, I mean he makes all these guys, you know, and uh, or or is like a real huge part of it. And it does seem like in the movies they don't really know what to do unless like, well we need a bomb to blow up this uh, lock that has Leonardo in it. Uh, so Dante's like out of the way because he's got the turtle C four, you know. And I mean, you know, I don't know. It, it is it is weird, you know. That, that's a weird. Uh, um, that, that is a weird thing, you know. I, I don't know why he he kind of always gets kind of pushed to the side, but I think Mikey does too as well. Um, you know, Al. Um, you know the the one of the one of the things that we we've talked about in this. Uh, is kind of like uh, you know the Jake's brought up several times the the animation the strength of the animation. I know you're a big animation guy. Did, did was animation you know a, a strong suit for you? Um, I thought it was for sure. Yeah. Um, as I said, I think especially during um, a lot of the fights um, and action sequences, um, I thought that um, everything looked really tight and like as I said. I felt like I could follow everything going on during action sequences. There's this weird thing with 3D animation, especially 3D animation back then, where it was, there was almost an effect where if things moved a little bit too fast and there was like too much going on on the screen, a lot of 3D animation stuff would get kind of a blur to Mm -hmm. it. You see this a little bit during the earlier seasons of the Clone Wars, actually, where if there's a lot going on during action sequences, there's almost a blur to the animation where it makes it a little bit hard to keep up with what's going on in the show um, or on in the scene. Um, But here um, you don't really encounter that. Everything looks pretty good. Um, as I said, I thought a lot of the character designs uh, looked really good. Um, um, the character design for 
Kurai specifically, and this was the first time I'd ever um, seen that character um, at all. Because I'd watched I'd watched some of the show that started in, in 2012, but I didn't get very far in it. Um, it was just kind of a show that my roommates and I in college had kind of playing in the background that was fun. But um, this was the first time I'd ever seen Karai or heard of her, again, as a very amateur um, TMNT fan. But the thing that stuck out to me about her was just like, oh, she has a really cool design. Like, there isn't a whole lot going on. Her design is almost kind of like a counterpoint to a lot of the Shredder designs, where Shredder just had, like, blades and angles just kind of humming out of every inch of his body. Um, the design, uh, which isn't a bad thing, but um, I'm as big a fan of Super Shredder as anybody else's. Mm-hmm. But um, but with Karai, it's kind of a counterpoint in her appearance because it's very almost um, um, an immobilized view of her character as far as the design goes because it's just kind of she looks like an ninja she has a hood and she has her mask and the mask is really cool it adds like a splash of red onto her design to go with like the red eyes of the rest of um the hood clan in that film and yeah i think everybody and everything um visually looks really good um um again i had some issues with the plot um and as far as winters go if you could Depending on how much you really want to overanalyze this animated film from 2007, you could go into the idea that they're almost kind of doing a parallel of sorts between Winters having achieved um, immortality, but at the loss of his generals. Um them having been um, converted to stone and then his big crusade and his quest to capture all the monsters and have everything reversed um, and save his family that way. You could almost say, oh, that's kind of a parallel with like Leonardo having left his family trying to find his leadership um, skills and his destiny and things like that as their leader and the kind of um, abandonment that his family felt, especially Raphael. Um, again, if you want to overanalyze it, you could say, oh yeah, there are some real parallels there. Um, I don't know how much of that was really intentional or how much I'm over, over reading into it, but um, I thought it was fine. I, I thought the villain for me, the villain did what he needed to do. I appreciated um, the little twist they had where, oh no, he's not capturing all the monsters for anything evil and nefarious. He's he's just trying to end this immortality curse that it's it's become, essentially. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, it added a little bit of extra flair and flavor to an otherwise um, pretty stereotypical ancient kind of villain uh, that shows up in a lot of other stuff. Um, but no, I was pleased with how it looked. I was pretty pleased with how it played out. Um, yeah, I thought it was fine. If you have HBO Max out there, then you should 
You should try this out. It's fun. It's a good time. I uh, I, I want to, uh, you know, you, you said you had a problem with, um, you know, maybe their interpretation of, of, of the Night Watcher or whatever. Um, I want to ask this question because the entire time the movie's going on, I'm asking this question. Um, and I know you say you're an amateur team. Change Ninja Turtle guy, Jake, you're not really an amateur, uh, and I'm definitely not an amateur. Um, but between the three of us, okay, all right, to me, the biggest plot hole in this movie is if this is, if this is like, and I think you're right, Al, when you call this like the year five of the Turtles, if this is truly year five, this is a point where they've beaten Shredder twice, they've gone back in time, uh, you know, and, and saved the timeline, mm-hmm. essentially. Yes. Um, you know, if this is truly supposed to be following that, okay, or supposed to at, at the very least fall an adventure where they have beaten the Shredder, their mortal enemy, all right, why in the world is Splinter sending Leonardo off to become a better leader? Because I don't, it, it, can you tell me where that was explained in this movie, like why he needed to do that? It it really, like, to to me it wasn't. That's the... It, I, it was more so I think they wanted – they were like, we needed to have Leonardo leave, and we needed to have him come make, like, a return. So he could um, murder, you know, drug overlords in Colombia? In, in Colombia, yes. Hell yes. yes. Like, Hell I mean, yeah. like, yeah, exactly. okay, but, like, I'm just saying, like, look, I don't have an issue with that, but you've got to give me a better reason than, you know, like, there's – there's because, like, it, it, it's not just, you know, like, Splinter's the one that sends him off, and then, like, all the turtles blame him for leaving – you know, even though apparently it was Splinter's idea, and so like Splinter has to know that, and he just lets it happen. It's all—it's a really weird plot hole for me. Hmm. Um, you know that—that that was really that like the entire time I'm watching the movie, I'm really having a, a hard time adjusting to because it doesn't seem like it was something Leonardo wanted to do, and it definitely wasn't something that the Turtles wanted to happen. <clears throat> you know, so like, I mean, Al, can you could you figure out a reason? You know, why they did that? Um. No, and that kind of gets kind of at the heart of of the main issues um, I had with this because as far as as far as the plot and the narrative went, there were things that either I didn't understand with the characters or things that like I was left feeling kind of frustrated with about the characters. Um, and I mean, one of them, was the entire thing with Raph his vigilante. Um, because, again, as I said at the beginning, to me that felt like a very natural way for Raph's character to go uh, from what I've seen of TMNT. Um, it makes sense to me that he would just be like, okay, well, Leonardo's gone, but like this is still our city, so I'm going to go and defend it. Um, that made sense to me. Um um i didn't understand and honestly i was kind of surprised as we've been recording this that this didn't come up for you all um sooner as a complaint about splinter because like i came away not terribly often but a couple times i came away with this idea that like is splinter kind of an antagonist in this because um the way I understood it, or at least my headcanon is from what I saw 
in this film is that Splinter 100% knew that Raft was a vigilante in town. Um, there's no doubt in my mind to me that Splinter did not know that that's what Raft was doing this entire time. Um, if we're expected to think of Splinter as being wise and intelligent and competent at any point, then he would know that it's Raph, who's a vigilante. Um, and you all are right, we don't get an explanation for why he sent Leonardo away. If Splinter understands the turtles as well as he seems to, he would know that would cause friction, and he seemed to... It was almost kind of like... It was almost kind of like it was asking you to believe a little bit too much in the complexity of Splinter's plan. Because on the surface, it was Splinter had this idea, I'm going to send Leonardo away to become a better leader, which is going to give Raphael abandonment issues. And Raphael is going to go be a vigilante because that's what he does. Um... And Leonardo's going to come back. They're going to butt heads over both him leaving and Raph being a vigilante. But trust me, they're going to find a way to work through it. And it was just, it felt like a little bit too much at times. And again, I was kind of left after a couple of scenes just going like, is, is Splinter kind of an antagonist in this? Because there's almost, there's almost a line between... Um, allowing your students to fail so that they can learn from things and having them struggle so they can learn from things and grow and like directly poking them with a stick and being like, okay, like you guys are gonna, you guys are gonna be mad at each other. Like <laughs> it's for your own good. Trust me. A really cool fight scene is going to come out of this, but like you guys, you guys are going to be angry at each other for a while. It's going to be fun. Um, and and I can't talk about the frustrations I had with this film without talking about a really small one, but one that kept coming to mind and bothering me is when April goes to find Leonardo um, in Central South America. And she does, and they talk, and she's giving them a rundown of what's going on with the turtles. And Leonardo is just like, oh, Anatello took like an IT helpline job he's he's a genius okay i don't know why he'd ever do that and april was just like well it's better than what raf's doing he just sleeps all day and like that feels like a throwaway line and it kept coming back to bother me just as wait no april answer the question why why did donatello do that like he is a genius <laughs> Why did he take an IT helpline job? <laughs> and like almost every time, and I, I love Sarah Michelle Gellar. I think she does a stellar job in this role. And I liked April overall in the movie, but that kept coming back to bother me of just like, oh, Donatello's a genius. Why would he ever take an IT helpline job? Well, Leonardo, I'm going to ignore that question. Wait till you find out how long Raph sleeps during the day. She was like, what? Wait, <laughs> no. <laughs> April, answer the question. <laughs> that's, that's a really good question. I don't know why they wrote that and had the thought of just like, well, we aren't going to answer this. Um, let's, let's move on. Let's move on to the to the vignette of Raph being a vigilante um, and then being angry about it for some reason. But I don't know. Those were 
just some frustrations I had and questions about it that didn't make sense to me. But again, overall, I enjoyed it. But just the small things just kind of kept coming to mind. Yeah, like I said, I, I really I, I liked the movie. I thought it was really good. But here's the here's the thing, okay? And this is this is you know the honest truth. And I understand you know, and the, apparently this movie had the largest budget of all the movies up to this point. Uh, really? Until uh, until 2014's uh, Michael Bay masterpiece. Mm. But um, there's 20 minutes that are missing from the beginning of this movie, in my opinion. And really, all you got to do is add a 20-minute scene at the beginning of this movie where the turtles, you know, mess up because because Leonardo is, you know, Leonardo and Raphael are, you know, bickering. And so, you know, Splinter says, well, you know, Leonardo, you just need to get control of your team. And Leonardo's like, well, then I'm going to learn to become a better leader. And he leaves. And then... That that solves pretty much all your problems, in my opinion. Um, that solves pretty much everything um, because you know it's kind of a you know because what they want, of course, is they want this idea where like, well, without Leonardo, all the turtles are kind of rudderless. You know, that's what they want, um, but it just doesn't really work because it's like to your point, it's like, well, if this was Splinter's master plan, like this is a really convoluted way to get around to it. You know, this is this is really a weird, you know, this is a, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn in episode one style convoluted master plan that's shouldn't work, you know, and like and that's that that's where the problems tend to come into uh, into this movie, because for me, I just I, like you're right they're they're small problems, but they compound on each other because the entire movie is built upon this idea of, you know, Leonardo and Raphael not being able to get along and that utterly seems like it's Splinter's, you know, Splinter's the one that did that. That's like Splinter's fault. Um, particularly like when he gets mad at Leonardo because, you know, they, you know, he's like, well, you know, you need to teach him how to be a team again. You know, it's like, and Leonardo's like, well, I haven't been here for two years. And like, he's like, hey, you know, by the way, Raphael really misses you. And they go out on, on that, you know, that night run or whatever, and they run into the, the big monkey that's fighting everything. Mm. Splinter gets mad at Leonardo because he can't control his team, you know. And like Leonardo, you know, once again, this is this is your if once again, if I think you're right, out. This is your five, you know. I'm just sitting there and going like, if I'm Leonardo, I'm going. Do you know who Raphael is? Like, you know, have you have you ever seen? You know, like I mean, you know, th- uh, this is a guy who tried to fight 150 ninjas by himself, you know, in the first movie. Like, I don't know, you know, like what wh- what am I supposed to do here? You know. And it just that just never comes up, and it, it, so it seems it, it, there's to your point of like Splinter being antagonist, you know, like I understand where you would come from that because at the very least he just kind of seems kind of bad his job in this, um, you know, and and that that's my main issue is like I don't think there's ever a point, you know, because the whole the whole gist of the turtles is Splinter teaching them how to be ninjas because and this is important to the mythology, he's the best ninja, Splinter is. So like where who's who's going to learn better, you know? Uh, who who's going? How are you going to learn to be a better ninja from anyone other than Splinter? Like there, it doesn't exist, you know. So like I, I I had a I had a real had a real issue with that, you know. And uh, yeah, that 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 was a problem for me. 
Um, so uh, ra- wrapping it up, okay, ra- wrapping it up, uh, talking about this movie, and uh, you know, I I want to keep going because the longer we talk about this movie, the you know, the longer it takes for us to get to the Michael Bay movie. Mm-hmm. So I guess we need to wrap it up. Uh, Al, overall grade for this movie, man. Overall great. Alrighty. Um, as I said, I really enjoyed this one, uh, despite um, the issues I had with um, the plot. Um, and and again, as I said at the beginning, I am a s- sucker for animated um, films, um, especially s- s- superhero comic book stuff. Um, I'm going to give this one a a Al Uncharted is a bad video game, addingly approved rating of a solid B. Okay, I mean, I think I think that's fair. Jake, uh, what, what are you giving it? Um, I I will give this movie um, as Jacob Jacob Vance absolutely hardesty. Um, <laughs> the approved rating from him. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go. I'm probably I'm probably gonna stick with stick with uh, kind of near Al and do like probably like a B plus I'd say. Um, just because I I I think it's my second favorite of the, of the Turtles movies. I, I really do like because I, I the first one is still in my opinion the best of them. Um, but but this one is really strong. Um. I've never seen the 2003 animated one that spins off from the series, but uh, but this one is just really really good. Okay, uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna stick with Al and just uh, stay at, at, at a B. Uh, like I said, I think this is the. I agree with you, Jake. I think this is the second second best one. Um, I think the first one, you know, is easily the best movie so far, but. I'm st- Currently, we we might change our minds later. Yeah, I'm not um, going to. I can tell you right so. now. No, I, I just I I will be <laughs> utterly amazed if I change my mind. But that's that's okay. Um, but anyway, not the this this was very good. Like I said, uh, had very strong moments. Um, I I do wonder, you know, uh, what people. <laughs> this is one thing we didn't say. I do wonder what people would think of this movie if they never seen another turtle movie or had never seen anything turtles before. Mm. Like that, cause this, this is probably the movie so far that we've, we've watched that relies the most on, uh, on you understanding some of the lore. Uh, of course, I mean like, and there's very few people that don't, but I'm just saying like, you know, I mean, this movie starts off with like, and after defeating, you know, the shredder. And it's like, I mean, you know, that right off the bat that you have to understand who the shredder is, understand mm. why that matters. So I do wonder that, but I do think, uh, you know, if you, if you do know the lore and, and, you know, you're bringing your own emotions into this movie, uh, about these characters as well, uh, I think it's a very good movie, uh, but it does have some flaws. So I'm, I'm going to stick with the B. So, so yeah, so that's, um, overall, this one does get the still of, still of approval, mm. uh, definitely. Um, there, there is a slight, slight points taken off and there will be f- for the rest of these movies because there is a lack of vanilla ice. Mm, that's um, fair. Mm, mm. But, uh, but you know, we will, but you know, that's just, that's just how it is. Uh, so yeah. So Jake, Al, um, you know, thank you for joining me to talk about, uh, some turtles and, uh, pretty soon we'll be getting back to, uh, back to this. Uh, I, I I'm not going to say a timeline cause every time I say a timeline, it always messes up. Yeah. 
Um, but so eventually we'll watch. So the eventually Bay we're going to watch the Michael Bay ones, hopefully sooner. I'd like to get them done before the end of this year. You think we could do that? Yeah, no, I definitely. You think, think so? That. Yeah. Okay. So what? So basically, we'll watch the Michael Bay ones. You can look for those reviews in February of 2022. <laughs> uh, that's that's yeah. Since Jake said we'll get them done by the end of the year. Um, but uh, once again, thank you so much uh, for joining us. As always, we do want to tell you that Phantom is for everyone. And uh, you guys just have a blessed, uh, blessed day wherever you're at in internet land. A cowabunga. <laughs>